Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Eric Stewart from the Fishing Fanatics Podcast, and today I have Pat Sclapper with me, who's in his third season fishing the Bassmaster Elites. How you doing, Pat? Pretty good. Good, man. It's great to have you on here. And one of the questions I always like starting out with is, tell me how you got into fishing in the first place and your story about growing up. Maybe you just fished on ponds like for fun or fishing with your parents and all that good stuff. Tell me about what drew you to fishing. Well, I've always, uh, I've fished my whole life. You know, it's a big part of my family is fishing. You know, I grew up fishing pike and walleye, hand fish, kind of like everybody else kind of starts. And then gradually worked my way into bass fishing in middle school, started fishing tournaments um, in seventh grade. And uh, yeah, I always, you know, love to fish, but the bass fishing bug didn't start till about seventh grade. So, well, it's like the one thing, like the bass fishing. I know, I know for some guys talking about on this podcast, it was like a, one specific fish they can remember, a top water frog blow up or another fish that they caught, like that one specific fish that got them into it. Like, do you have that kind of like a story like that? You know, I don't have a specific fish, but before, you know, we bass fish, we would always fish a lake by my house for walleye. And when we would get out there in the evening, you know, this is when I was real young, we'd get out there you know, middle of the day and the walleyes didn't start biting until the evening. So we would go slip, throw slip bobbers and leeches like on these shallow reefs and catch big smallmouth. And that was like, you know, they're just so fun to fight and they're jumping and it just, it was just really fun. So, uh, that, that's what I first remember about catching bass, you know, not necessarily fishing for them, but, um, yeah, it was just always really fun to catch. Yeah, absolutely. And then going into like the tournament scene when you're that young, was there anyone like that was your partner in crime kind of going into like collaborative tournaments or did you just kind of take the reins and just go for it yourself? No, it was pure. So I had a friend of mine in middle school, uh, Josh Peck was his name and his brother-in-law was a big tournament fisherman. His name was Kevin Barch. He passed away several years ago now, but, um, he was the one who kind of, he was very good angler and, you know, so I kind of started hanging around with him and then we, we fished against him. Josh and I would fish against him. You know, we were really young. My dad would have to drop us off at the landing or his dad would, and you know, we would get our butts beat most of the time, but every once in a while we would, you know, get in the money. And I mean, we were like, I don't know how old the seventh grade or 13 or something, you know, young. So, uh, but Kevin's definitely the one I, I credit for getting me really hooked on tournament fishing because that, and as time went on, I started to fish tournaments with him and uh, learned a lot from him just about, you know, not only just catching bass, but just the whole tournament strategy and how to take care of your fish and how to prep for the tournament. So uh, he was a, he was the major part of, you know, getting me involved in the tournament scene definitely at that young age you kind of need someone at least the same age as you to kind of go in there with you or um you know i heard it a lot like a father figure too just kind of go in there teaching the ropes and it's cool to hear that um for sure with your story and then in the high school did you continue tournament fishing in high school and even in the college too well no see when i'm old you know i'm 40 so when i was in college they certainly didn't have it when i was in high school and when I was in college, I graduated in 2006. So that was kind of when it was just starting to get going. Like you'd hear a little bit about it, but, um, you know, there was no college or high school teams that I was involved in. Now I fished tournaments heavy in high school and, and uh, college, but, you know, just local stuff and some stuff out of state. I was, you know, I'm fortunate too. I have fished out of state quite a bit before making the elites. Um, 
So yeah, I've always tournament fished after that. I mean, a huge part of my life. I mean, that's kind of what I molded, tried molding my career around. I went to school to be a teacher so I could have a lot of time off in the summer. You know, thankfully I did not go that route. I went another route and had, you know, worked for Shields for two, since 2004. And that allowed me to fish even more than when I was, if I would have been a teacher, but, um, yeah. Ever since seventh grade, that was—I mean, I—that's what I did was tournament fish. Pretty much any other type of fishing took a back seat. Gotcha. And you kind of hit it on my next question there with um, working at that fishing shop, and then in two thousand twenty, I believe you kind of just took the full plunge into fishing full time. Um, what leading up to that? What were the couple things like the key differentiators in your career that made you just take that leap? Well, you know that's that comes up a lot with adults, young people, just everybody wants to know that story. And it's, it's fairly complex, but it basically boils down to, you know, when we, when you're like going through school, right? Everybody, when you're younger, they tell you to chase your dreams and do whatever you want to do. You know, nobody can stop you. That all stops once you get out of college. Then they all tell you to go get a job and make money and then plan plan basically they tell you to plan for your life after you retire you know they try you know basically that middle part of your life from when you're 20 to 55 is just like i just got to work you know and and that's kind of the groove i got caught in and and it wasn't a bad it was a good thing um because i made good money i worked for a great i still work for for shields they're my title sponsor um i met my wife there uh and they allowed me to fish. I mean, they basically let me, I never got turned down to fish a tournament ever, my entire employment there. I mean, they let me go to Texas. They let me do anything I wanted. But when I got to be, well, I think I was 36 when I decided, there was a couple, I just wasn't really happy at work anymore because I knew deep down, like, I got to go try this. You know, I had a goal when I was younger to try to do it by the time I was 30. But when I was 30 is the point in my life where I just got comfortable financially. I really liked what I was doing for work. And I liked having money to kind of do what I wanted. And you kind of get in that groove of like, all right, I got to ride this out till I'm 55 or 60, like you're supposed to do. But then it all changed when I was 36 and my mindset was just like, I don't really care about money. I want to go try to do it. And lo and behold, when I told them I was going to quit, they like, they turned into my title sponsor and the relationship is even stronger. So it, it really worked out, but it was a unique scenario. Um, a lot of things went into it, but that's kind of the short version um, of, of how it happened. And then I was just fortunate to qualify the first year. And I didn't have to do it for multiple years like most people do to try to get to the elites. Yeah, because I know for a lot of guys, that's kind of a grind, right? Fishing the opens, trying to just qualify for the elites. Oh, it's super difficult. You know, when I did it, I I basically told myself I'm going to try it for like for two years for sure. If it's going okay, I'll try it for three. But ultimately, I was like, I want to make it one. Well, back up until this year, you could fish one division up right you could fish when i did it there was only i think there was three divisions two or three but either way i fished one division there's four tournaments and you had to be in the top four in points i believe to to make it to the elites which there was 180 to 200 people in each tournament um 
So I qualified that way. I ended up getting, I think, third in points in, I think it was the Easterns is what, what I fished. I fished in Florida, South Carolina, Alabama, and uh, Tennessee. So they called that the East Division, I guess. But I qualified that way, and then I also won the Bass Nation Championship that same year on Pickwick Lake. So that double qualified me, and then I also qualified for the Bassmaster Classic by winning that event. But that's unlikely. Like, that's not, it's very uncommon for that to happen. And I was really fortunate. And, and like, with me, the position I was in, I, that's all I did was fish. You know, that was COVID year first off. So, like, stuff was weird. Not many people were working anyways. But I had already kind of pre-planned for it. And, like, I literally, I don't know if I worked more than 10, 12 days that whole year because I fished. I mean, I was just fishing because I knew I wanted to get it done as quick as I could. And I was just honestly kind of on another level that year. I won so many tournaments and just fished better than I've ever fished in my life to, to accomplish that goal. So if they had this new format, um, when you were first, like kind of looking into it, would you have took that leap, um, to just try it? Oh yeah. I think I would have, I think I would have. Because, um, I think what, I think actually that year, I think there was only two divisions. I think there was two divisions. So th there was eight tournaments. So now there's nine, but, um, I, I would have done it. I might have had to plan a little longer or strategized a little bit more, but I would have done it. Cool. Gotcha. And then you fished the Bassmaster Classic in 2021 and 2023. Now, every video, article, and everything I've ever seen about the Bassmaster Classic is kind of, it's like, own, like, it's in its own league in fishing tournaments. So, in your own words, what would you explain that tournament as a whole? What is it like? Well, you know, for me, I had never even been to one, as even as just a observer, you know, and I did that. I didn't want to go unless I was fishing it, and because I wanted to get the full experience of just everything, you know, the expo, the arena, the everything. And it, it's, it's, you can't even describe how cool it is and how, what, how good they treat you. I mean, you, you just get treated like royalty, the stuff they do for you. I mean, it's a hectic week. It's a lot of, it's more work than any, than people realize because they kind of pull you in every direction, but it's, it's crazy. I, it's hard to even describe how, how cool it is to when they pull you into that arena and I had horrible, both the tournaments I fished, I had horrible events on the water. Like I was in, I think I got 53rd this year and like 45th my first time. But you're, it's still so awesome that it's hard to be disappointed. So uh, it's one of those things where once you get there, you don't ever want to miss it again. So it's good motivation. Hmm, absolutely. I, I remember I got chills because we had Gussie on the podcast two weeks before he left for it. And I saw him walk across that stage. I literally had chills. I was like, oh my gosh, this, yeah. this is insane. <laughs> it's, it's, it's even crazier in person. Like, you know, uh, have you been to one in the crowd? I haven't. Yeah. So it's, it's really cool. You got to try to make it to one. I mean, this, just the atmosphere is, it's, it's insane. It, it's something you got to experience. Definitely. I'll mark it for next year for sure. So you're, are you just getting home from the Sabine River? I kind of, I've been home for about a week. Cool. Yeah. Still trying to recover from that. 
that place. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I was I was watching it live, and it seemed like it was pretty tough out there. Tell me a little bit about what was going through your mind as fishing a river system like that. Well, you know, we were there my rookie year, and that was actually my best event of the year. Uh, you know, I 20th or something good event. So I was excited to go back. It's a tough body of water. Uh, the fish just aren't in a lot of places. We have saltwater intrusion, so it's the fish are concentrated, which is good and bad. It's good if you can find them, but it's bad because you spend a lot of time to try to find those few areas, and most of the time, everybody finds the same areas. So it's it's just a difficult tournament with some different strategy involved, and the fish overall are just so small. I mean, when you're talking six and a half pounds a day makes the top 50, like that's just not, like why would you go there, you know? I mean, but it is a cool event. It's, I like the body of water because you might catch a redfish, you might catch a flounder, you might catch a largemouth. You, you don't know what other sea creatures you're going to catch. So it's cool for that end of it. And the, there's more fans that show up than any other event other than the classic. I mean, they have like a carnival there and it's insane. So the fans really show out and that kind of makes it really special. And, and honestly, I mean, it gets a bad rep because the fishing's not, you don't see those giant weights, but like when I saw it on the schedule this year, I'm like, heck yeah, I'm, I'm excited to go back there. Um, and I'm sure we'll go back again, but you know, I would prefer to go to other places, but it's not like I'm disappointed if we have to go there. Business owners and marketing professionals in the Philly area, Bad Rhino takes the overwhelm out of digital marketing. With tailored digital marketing services, from social media management to SEO and PPC advertising, our expert team navigates the complexities of the digital ad space for your business. Let Bad Rhino lead you to success. Visit badrhinoinc.com and let's take your business to new heights. Bad Rhino, we do digital marketing so you don't have to. Would you say like your bread and butter is kind of like the north northeast part of the area being from Wisconsin? No, you know... That's everybody, like, everybody's like, oh, well, now you're fishing smallmouth the last three events up north, which I am very, very comfortable with. But, like, my track record up north, like, when we go to New York, I've done, like, last year I made the cut on the St. Lawrence, but I got, like, 39. Granted, I had big bags every day, but everybody had big bags. But Champlain, I didn't do that great. I've never been to St. Clair. So, like, I'm very comfortable in the north. But, I mean, like, the Tennessee River's been really good to me. I love Texas. I've, I've spent a ton of time on, in, on Texas lakes, especially Lake Falcon. Um, I like done traditionally pretty well in Florida. I mean, it's... I am excited to go fish smallmouth up north, but I, I'm not like a lot of people from up north that are scared to go to, to Florida and other places. Uh, you know, pretty, pretty versatile on that feel like no pat it's interesting because i hear that a lot on this podcast like people from up north tend to stay up north and they like fishing up north but you're the complete opposite you like fishing in florida texas and all those different areas i love fishing up north like new york like if people ask me all the time where's your favorite place to fish it's new york it's lake champlain is just it's so awesome st lawrence is is awesome i mean look at what they did on cayuga this last week what mlf did i mean 30 pounds for five smallies that's that's unheard of so i love it but i also like 
you know, fishing the Tennessee River. I like, I like, I like catching 10, 11 pounders. I mean, you're not going to do that up north. I've caught a billion, not a billion, but a ton of three to five pound smallmouth. And I love catching them. But man, you catch a 10 pound largemouth, that's, you know, and I've caught a fair amount of them, but not like I have big smallmouth. So I, I, I don't know. I like that. I like that in fishing, those tournaments where you have the potential to catch an eight, nine, 10 pounder. It's just, it's cool to have, have that possibility. Yeah, I, t- I totally get that. I mean, I can relate to that too. Fishing in like Pennsylvania, don't have a lot of large, you know, big largemouth here. My PB is like a five pounder. I think I've said it on the podcast before jokingly, but like, it would be cool to go down south and try to catch like a 10 pounder. Like that'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I, like last year I caught a 10, five on Chickamauga and the elite series. So I got, and then the week before I caught a nine twelve on, uh, Santee Cooper. So I got big fish two weeks in a row, you know, and I had like eight pound, like that last year I had a run of just catching like, I mean, I caught it eight something on, on Harris chain. I caught a bunch of big ones on Santee Cooper. I caught them big ones on Lake four. So like, I mean, ah, it's so awesome to hook. Hey, the feeling of hooking a fish of that caliber at that level of fishing and putting it, like you put a 10 pounder in the boat on the elite series. Like how many people can say that? It's just, it's unreal. That's gotta be surreal. And then, so the upcoming event you guys got is at a uh, Lake St. Clair. And I think I heard you mention that you never been there, never fished it. I've never been there. I'm actually going, uh, this next Sunday for a week. My wife and I are going to go over there, kind of have a little vacation and just get around. The, it's obviously going to be a lot different. They're probably still going to be fish up spawning and stuff, but, just get around the lake and just see what areas look like. I'll probably fish some, but more get around the lake and, and just see what areas I think might be productive. Gotcha. And then how much of like preparation do you do? Cause I know fuck, there's some guys that do a lot of preparation where they're looking at Google maps and they're kind of diving into all the hot spots. but then other guys are just like, I'm just going to feel it out and see how it goes in practice. You know, I, I do some, like I, I like to watch old tournaments and just kind of get a vibe of maybe some of the areas they fish. If there's some certain technique they're using or, or some specific color or something like that, which most of the time doesn't mean anything when we go there, but at least have in your mind a little bit of an idea. And then I do Google Earth stuff, but honestly, I'm not that good at it. Like I room with, with Bob Downey or, you know, we camp, we talk every day and he's like, really good at google earth like he finds stuff and like i look at his phone and it just looks he must have a different version but i'm like i can't see that stuff so i do that but i'm not that good at it you know i just i I don't know i'm just i just haven't figured out the little intricacies to get all the you know different levels of the lake i just don't know that much about it it's all good well let's talk about one of your strengths here and your signature technique that i was reading about is electronics um, so fill us in a little bit about how you use your electronics when you go into a new lake or a lake you fish. So, yeah, I mean, I've always like working at Shields, I've kind of been blessed to be on the leading edge of pretty much every technology. Um, and, and I've learned how to use it. You know, some people just like, oh, it's the latest, greatest. I'm going to buy it, put it on the boat, but then they don't, they go up in the lily pads and throw the frog all day. So like, I'm not like that. Like I you know, was one of the first people in the area to have side imaging. And then it blew everybody's mind because I had side imaging front and back on the boat. 
And then I had, you know, two eight inch screens. So that was even on her. Well, then I got two of the 10 inch, you know, 1198s. And then it was like, then I was really, you know, some badass guy. But uh, I've just always embraced it. And like, if you put a computer in front of me, like I tried figuring out to go on this podcast tonight, I, I hate it. I mean, I can get through some stuff, but you put a locator in front of me, well, you know, I'm Hummingbird Garmin's what I run. Um, I can figure out a lot of stuff on it. And I spend a lot of time on the water learning what I'm looking at, whether it's on my live scope or on my side imaging, on my 360. You know, I really take pride in in knowing how to utilize those tools. It's it's awesome to see the change too of like probably when you first started, like YouTube wasn't a big thing. And once these like electronics started rolling out, you might've had them first and you didn't really know how to use them. So how much of it was talking to other people trying to figure it out that way. And then another side of it, just you on the water, just messing around with these electronics to see how they work. The majority of it was me on the water. It was basically, it was me and one other guy that I fished with. He, he doesn't fish tournaments much anymore, but his name's Mike McAvoy. And him, he would, he worked at Shields too. And so and him and I were partners and he, he had a smaller screen to start out with, but we, we really learned together what we were finding. And when we unlocked, he unlocked a few things in our area early. I mean, this is uh, a, I mean, at the front edge of side imaging. And we were like dominating. I mean, you were not going to beat us on a few of the lakes around here. People didn't get it. People didn't know what we were doing. Obviously we didn't tell them. Um, and we rode that that deal out for quite a while until people finally started getting the electronics and started actually trying to use them, you know, and now it's harder to get away with that kind of stuff because everybody has it. But, um, most of my learning was on the water because at that time, it's not like now where there was, I mean, if the thing, but it was nothing like what it is now. I mean, you type in side imaging now and then you'll find, billion videos well back then there might be some guy that got it that had no idea how to set it up and no idea what he's looking at you know and it basically became a lot of people came to me because i they knew i had it for a long and i sold them like that's what i did for a living was sell hunting and fishing stuff so they would come in and i told you know i helped a ton of customers and it worked out for me and the store and for them too, because I was able to tell them a lot of initial setup stuff that saved them a lot of time and shortened their learning curve. Absolutely. That learning curve is no joke with electronics. I just got a forward facing sonar in our boat. Oof. It is. It's when you're first starting out with it, I'm sure any listeners that just got one can kind of feel this one a little bit, but it is a pain trying to figure it out, like what settings you need in certain like locations. And I didn't even know this, but when you buy one, apparently the bottom of the lake has a lot to do with like what settings you should be running. (laughs) Yeah. There's all kinds of little ways to tweak them, you know, and that all, like, I don't even really think about it anymore. You know, the majority of it, like on forward facing, at least on the Garmin, I haven't run any of the other ones, but it's, it's just, you know, your gain or your sensitivity is a, is the biggest adjustment that I make once I get my forward range set and my color palette set. But um, yeah, that's the stuff that frustrates people is they see these great images and oh they're catching all these fish, 
and then you you put your you put it in the water and you don't know what you're looking at you don't know how to adjust it and then you you give up on it you know and you can't do that you got to fight through it and, and then you figure it out as you go and then the longer you use it you get more comfortable with it and then you get to the point where you really don't think about it or you notice all right yeah this must be softer bottom i got to turn it up a little bit or down a little bit you just start doing that stuff before without even thinking about it yeah that's that's the truth here all right pat well I appreciate you jumping on this here, and um, I always like to wrap it up with uh, asking this question: What is your PB largemouth and uh, PB smallmouth? Okay, my PB smallmouth's not that big, honestly, for where I'm from. It's a six-pound four-ouncer on Sturgeon Bay. Um, that was several years ago. I that I did not catch that one in the tournament. I did catch a six-pounder in the tournament, but uh, that's I've only caught like I caught a five-fifteen on Pickwick. But I, I honestly only think I've caught two two or maybe three smallmouth over six pounds. So I'm not one of them guys that's got a seven or eight pound smallmouth like a lot of them do up here in, you know, the Sturgeon Bay area. Uh, largemouth, uh, biggest I caught is a 12 pound, 12 even. That was on Falcon Lake. Uh, I think that was 2008, first year I went. Uh, that's the biggest one. I've caught an 11 eight on an 11 even. I caught a 1078 last year and a 10, 10 5 last year. I've caught several largemouth over 10, but only 112 and a couple of 11. Jeez, that's crazy. And just so you know, Pat, you saying that you caught a six pound smallmouth to me, like to hear that's crazy to me. So, <laughs> no, it's big. It, it is big. But now, like Sturgeon Bay, I mean, they're catching eight pounders. They're, they caught an eight pounder out of Caillou. They caught a nine something out of Erie or whatever that was. I mean, it's like now with gobies, it's completely changing. It's completely changing the the size structure of these fish. I mean, that's the St. Lawrence too. I mean, they'll be, I don't know how many six, seven pounders will be caught when we're there. So, I mean, growing up, I caught several five pound smallie, like legitimate five, not like that one's five pounds, but like way. I've caught a lot of five pounders, but a six is, you know, a six pound largemouth is tough to come by where I'm from. You know, fives are common, but sixes are rare. And now it's like you got a better chance of catching a seven or eight pound smallie in Wisconsin than you do a largemouth. That's the truth, man. It's crazy. It's crazy. Well, Pat, um, I'm going to give you the floor here to shout out any social media handles you got, um, or if you have any websites too that you want the listeners to know, I'll link it all in the description. Yeah, I just uh, at Slopper Fishing on Facebook and Instagram, and uh, I do have a website, patchslopperfishing.com. Uh, my wife mainly handles that. I, that's not super up-to-date on that. And then uh, there is a YouTube channel, which I haven't done anything with this year, but there's a bunch of stuff on there from the past couple years. But, yeah, Patch Slopper Fishing for everything. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate it, and thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. Thanks for being on here, and um, good luck in the future events, too, with the elites. You just listened to the Fishing Fanatics podcast with your host, Eric Stewart. Feel free to check out our other podcasts and our other interviews on our channel on Spotify, YouTube, and much more. Check out our Instagram page, TikTok, and Facebook as well. 